Hey folks, welcome to Assorted Goods. I'm Dan Felton. Thank you for joining me while we take another curious look at the world around us. I hope you're doing well out there and avoiding doom scrolling on your phone for too long. Seriously, take it easy on stuff like that. This episode, you know, this is a pretty uncertain time in the world. No, duh, Dan, thanks. But the recent developments in the Ukraine as Russian military forces invade a sovereign nation have been shocking, unsettling, whatever words you want to use. And I know we've all heard a lot about it, seen a lot of things that we wish we hadn't. And a topic this big and this uncertain is one that I would typically avoid on the show, mainly because I think if you want information about this conflict, you should go to trusted sources who are on the ground there doing brave work to keep the world informed about what's actually happening. But I thought that with the invasion in the Ukraine being everywhere, that maybe there was a specific piece we could focus on here to help understand the situation. And so, what we're going to talk about this episode is the lies. That being the lies that were told by the Russian government in order to justify this invasion, and the lies that are ongoing as we speak. At the same time, I wanted to look at how misleading information and narratives are a classic way of creating supposed just cause for violent conflicts, with the hopes that we'll get an idea of the kind of patterns that governments follow and the different forms of lies that get told. And remember, when it comes to getting information about the invasion in the Ukraine, please be careful about what you read, what you share, and where you get your information from. Fighting misinformation is a responsibility we all take part in, and it's even more important in a time of crisis. So that being said, let's start the episode and see what we can learn. Assorted Goods is produced by Disinformed Media in association with Verboten Productions. Promotional support comes from the Always Up Network and DeanBlundell.com. One of the unfortunate benefits of living in an information age like the one we're in right now is the endless number of viewpoints and pieces of information that are floating around right now when it comes to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And maybe as we start, a few things should be said right off the bat. First, this invasion is absolutely an unjust use of military force by Russia, a nuclear-capable nation, and one of the permanent members of the United Nations Security Council. And also, based on verified reporting and first-hand footage from Ukraine, this has become a campaign of terror and human rights offenses that has created a humanitarian crisis and is setting the stage for what may become a much larger military conflict amongst the nations of the world. It's not fun, it's not pretty, there's nothing good about this at all. And when the news broke about Russian forces actually invading Ukraine after weeks of building up forces along the border, I kept wondering again and again, What's the reason for this? I think we all still are wondering that. But even now, the true intentions of Russian president and part-time Dracula impersonator Vladimir Putin and his government are not totally clear. Sure, they've given a list of demands, but beyond that, it's really anyone's guess at the moment. And the sheer cruelty and viciousness of the invading Russian forces, the threats of nuclear attacks, the bombing of residential areas, evacuation corridors for fleeing civilians of hospitals, schools, food supplies. There's been an underlying cruelty to this invasion from the very get-go, which to me has been the most puzzling aspect of this whole situation. Capturing territory for strategic purposes is one thing, but carrying out a campaign of violence against innocents strays into an area where we simply have to question if the man behind all of this is anything resembling psychologically stable. And if we can't figure out the why, of the cruelty, then it's likely that the cruelty is the point. 
But what I wanted to get into here this episode is the justification Putin and the Russian government have given for this conflict at all. Whenever a nation invades another nation or begins a conflict, there's some sort of driving force. And those forces are complicated issues. It's not often just a simple reason. There's never usually just some single answer. Think about the debates people have over, say, the justification for the American Civil War. You know, states' rights versus slavery. States' rights to have slavery. All that kind of stuff. The justifications are always multi-layered. And most times, the actual truth is lost in the blending of all the lies and half-truths. Again, no simple answers. So in the case of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, what reason do the Russians have for starting a conflict that could end up spreading across the whole of Europe and beyond? Something that could threaten life on Earth itself? Heavy stuff. Well, maybe only one man on Earth truly knows the why of it all. And that man may be a sociopath driven by some sort of personal vengeance or greed or dreams of glory. We simply don't know that truth, and we likely never will. But what we do know, and what we can dig into here this episode, is the stories being told, the narratives being spun, what has actually been put out there. And by examining all that, maybe we can catch that classic whiff of bullshit and decipher something real out of the waves of garbage. Because the Russian government has to sell this conflict to its own ranking officials, its own commanders and foot soldiers, its own general public, most of all. There has to be a reason, whether true or not, that is given for a conflict like this. Much like the justification for the Iraq war by America about 20 years ago, sometimes all you need is a story, true or not. And once the ball gets rolling, thanks to some lies, then it's almost impossible to stop what's already begun. In Russia now, the banning of Western media outlets, the complete censorship of social media sites, and the immediate and swift legal punishments being handed out to anyone who counters the Russian government's narratives leaves their nation and their people in a tough spot. Because many people in Russia right now don't actually know what's happening in their neighboring country, and families of Russian soldiers may not be aware their family members have been killed, and for what they may have actually died for. At the same time, propaganda and spin absolutely do work. It's something I've talked about on this show many times before. People use these tactics because they are effective. Putin's spin at home has taken hold for many Russians, and has even spread abroad through Russian disinformation campaigns. It won't be long before you see some person you work with or went to high school with spreading conspiracies about bioweapons in the Ukraine, if it hasn't happened for you already. Governments lie. Big shock. And when it comes to armed conflicts, they amp those lies up to a much higher degree. Wartime is prime time for spin and propaganda for everybody involved. The information battles are a big piece of any conflict, especially now in the internet age. And this invasion of Ukraine is no different. And for this episode, I'm going to create a bit of a point of reference for all the things we're going to talk about. And this point of reference is going to be the work of political scientist John Mearsheimer and his work on international relations and the ways that governments spin tales when it comes to conflict. Mearsheimer's ideas are strong but thorough. And in the past couple of weeks, he's been under fire for comments he made about the situation in Ukraine stemming back to the revolution and civil war that took place there in 2014. Mearsheimer has been accused of blaming the United States and Western nations for what's happened in Ukraine over recent weeks. 
But clickbaity, emotionally charged headlines aside, throughout my research for this episode, the concepts that John Mearsheimer has written about for decades are actually much closer to being on the mark than his critics would give him credit for. So be prepared for me to refer to him and his writings a lot as we go forward, with me making the effort to apply his ideas on international politics to the situation we're in right now. I need a qualified, smart person to back up my long-winded explanations. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Well, it's my job to make that information worth listening to, so here goes. Mearsheimer is a proponent of an idea called offensive realism, which, at its core, is the idea that a nation or state most reliably ensures its own defensive security by competing for power on the global stage. At the same time, a nation uses their power to attempt to disrupt the power gains of other nations so that they can't grow big enough to threaten the power dynamics and therefore the security of your own nation. It's not only do I want to control things, but I'm going to actively try to stop you from being able to gain control because then you might threaten my power. Mearsheimer in his 2011 book, Why Leaders Lie, outlines a few things. One, that rulers lie to their own people far more than they would lie to other governments because the relationship between a leader and their people is supposed to be founded on trust, and it's easier to fool people who trust you. At the same time, governments of other nations inherently don't trust each other, so why bother working hard to craft lies when they're all skeptical of you to begin with? And it makes sense too. Your own people are likely a bigger threat than another country. In the case of Vladimir Putin, sure, there are probably countless leaders who'd like him removed from office or relinquished of his ability to intake oxygen, but to do so would probably make this conflict much, much bigger and much more bloody. His biggest threat right now is being overthrown by his own people, thus the need to lie much bigger and more often at home, which he is absolutely doing and severely punishing anyone who works against these stories. Lastly, Mearsheimer describes in that book that most political lies fall into five categories. First, interstate lies, the lies that are told by one nation to another, which, like he says, doesn't happen as often as the ones that get told at home. Next, fear-mongering. These are pretty obvious lies that are told to inflate a threat to your own people. Then there's strategic cover-ups, where you withhold information to maintain a narrative. Next is nationalist myths, a story a country tells itself to pump up a sentiment about their own nation. And lastly, liberal lies, which, no, is not the name of some Fox News host's new book, but it's actually when an action is justified by claiming it's for a greater good or, say, a humanitarian reason. For example, we invaded that country to save people, not harm somebody. Then there's two types of deception. First, concealment, keeping certain information secret, again, to prop up a narrative. And then there's spin which is when you emphasize certain facts and downplay others to redirect a narrative in the way that you want, something that we are all subject to pretty much every single day of our lives. We live on planet spin, and also the planet spins in its own nature, which means spins. It Sorry, getting carried away with a theory of my own for a second, but I hope all of that is clear because, again, we're going to keep referring back to these ideas as we go along. Remember this all for later on in class. It won't be on a test, but you can impress your friends with all this smart people stuff at a later date. Now, the thing about lying, though, is that there's always a price. 
And we know this in all of our own lives and through the people we've met in our existence, whether we're talking about a brutal world leader or even regular everyday people telling fibs, lies force you to have to keep the game going, to keep that plate spinning. Once you build a lie, it has a life of its own that can crumble everything if it isn't properly maintained. You know, it's the bane of cheating spouses everywhere for centuries. So with all this being said, the best place to dive right into is with the speech that President Vladimir Putin delivered to his people on February 24th. In the speech, Vladimir Putin weaves a story that sets the stage for the horrific invasion that has now been ongoing for weeks. So we're going to run through Putin's speech, the reasons he gave for this invasion, and then do a few things. One, put them into context to understand what the hell he's talking about. Two, to categorize the various forms of lying he's using. And lastly, in the second half of the episode, we'll compare these forms of propaganda and spin and lying to other examples from history. Compare, contrast, yada, yada, yada. You know, my high school teachers would be very proud, although they weren't proud of me back then. But this does absolutely not mean that I'm giving his reasons any sort of credence or validation. The comparisons I'm going to make are absolutely not me attempting some sort of whataboutism or providing a justification because of historical examples. We are simply here to wrap our heads around it all. Plain and simple. If my intentions are not clear through either knowing me or the show, I apologize. And if you have any issues or questions or take exception with me, please reach out. Email me at dan at disinformed.ca. I am always available and ready to hear you out. So, okay, let's start from the very tippity top of bullshit mountain that is Putin's speech and work our way down. And FYI, this is an almost 30-minute speech he gave, so we're obviously not going to grind away into every little detail here. But Putin begins his speech by pointing the finger at the West, which includes Europe and the European Union. But really, Putin is directly pointing at America. He indicates that since World War II, that America has used its influence and power to manipulate international treaties and agreements in ways that benefit themselves and further American power. He also states that since the fall of the Soviet Union in the late 1980s, that the United States has amped up these efforts and used the crumbling of the Soviet empire as a jump-off point to expand their influence even further. And we need to remember that The United States and Russia have had a troubled relationship for decades, to say the least. The Cold War lasted decades itself, and although attention spans may have long forgotten the legacy of that diplomatic mess on this side of the world, over there, the Russian government has not forgotten. And they haven't gotten over the shame of being the losers of the Cold War. Putin was a KGB agent during the fall of the Soviet Empire. He watched the nation he loved become weak and get embarrassed by its rivals on a global stage. So, I absolutely wouldn't rule out that his motivations are driven by something as simple as petty revenge. But in this part of the speech, he then connects the dots to the European Union's efforts to bring Ukraine into the fold, and the effort to get Ukraine to join NATO, the international treaty that connects 28 European countries, along with Canada and the United States. Putin indicates that All these international agreements, again, are really an extension of the United States spreading their influence in order to clamp down further on any threats, the threat in this case being Russia. To Putin and Russia, having their neighbor join NATO would mean that the immense international power of the United States would be right next door. In the speech, Putin then points out that this would be absurd for him to allow this, 
and that if Ukraine was part of NATO, that America would then arm Ukraine with advanced military technology and could threaten Russia from right next door. So in the context of John Mearsheimer's ideas, Russia is worried that the spread of another nation's power will threaten the safety and security of their own nation, the concept of offensive realism in action. And so for the Russians, to move into Ukraine is a preemptive measure to get ahead of that hypothetical future. Recent reports of what Putin's demands are for a resolution to this conflict include him requesting that Ukraine never be allowed to join the European Union or NATO. So this is absolutely a primary point for Putin and Russia. And that whole point kind of seems to make sense, right? I mean, how would hypothetically America feel if Mexico became economic and military allies with China and let's say China began to build military bases in Mexico and put some troops there? I know, again, I'm not justifying the Russian reasons, but this is the angle that they are taking on the matter. So it helps for us to understand it a little bit. But then things get a little more dicey. After the civil war in Ukraine in 2014, which was fought primarily over this same issue, whether Ukraine should join the European Union or remain close with Russia, the eastern regions of Ukraine remained filled with more pro-Russian groups and people who speak the Russian language. And there has been some fighting in those regions in the years since. In Russia, though, the narrative has been much different. According to Putin and his government, after the 2014 conflict, pro-Russian civilians and those who speak the Russian language have been killed in the eastern regions of Ukraine. Putin and his state-run media have spun a story that what this has turned out to be is actually a genocide taking place in the eastern part of the Ukraine, a region known as the Donbass, a very bold claim to make, and one that of course has no evidence of actually happening. But Putin has been pumping up this conspiracy since about 2014-2015 with the help of Russian state media, entities that he has a very strong hold over. And get this, here's actually a quick story. When I was researching this topic, I thought, why not see what Russian media is saying itself? So I went to RT.com. Russia Today is what RT is. It's a Russian state-run media corporation. And so when I'm there, I find this long article about women in the Donbass who have been fleeing in fear of the genocide. It's filled with quotes and stories and all these accounts. So being the curious person that I am, I wondered who the writer of this article was. So I googled their name and no search results came up except for the very article I just read. Literally nothing else was credited to this name. So I thought to myself, okay, I'll go back to rt.com. You know, any sort of publishing thing like this, I've written for websites before. If you search my name, you get the articles that I've written. So if I go to their website and search the name, I've got to get this writer's history of articles, right? All right, so I go back, I put it in their little search bar, I press enter, and then, boop, I've been banned from the website. And then I couldn't get back in onto RT.com, some sort of unknown error that wouldn't let me back onto the website. So, yeah, it's a little sketchy. It appears, really did appear to be a fake article written by a fake journalist, and if I tried to find out more, I got thrown out. But anyways, because of this genocide theory, in his speech on February 24th, Putin states that under Article 51, Chapter 7 of the United Nations Charter, that Russia would carry out a, quote, special military operation in eastern Ukraine. Now, this piece of the UN Charter permits the use of force if it is in the efforts of self-defense in response to an attack. And yes, you're probably thinking that doesn't seem to be the case here. But 
Putin declared that the supposed genocide of Russian-speaking people in eastern Ukraine was an attack on pro-Russia peoples, and therefore they are justified in invading the country to save these poor folks, what we would classify as the liberal lies, right? Russia states they are invading for humanitarian purposes in order to actually save lives. The narrative expands as well, as Putin states that in these For the Greater Good efforts, that the Russians will seek to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine, which, according to this narrative, is being run by Nazis. Despite the fact that Ukraine's president and all-time badass comedian Volodymyr Zelensky is Jewish, and whose grandfather's family fought and died fighting against Nazis, but, again, the spin machine is doing its thing. So at this point of the speech, Putin has blamed America and Western nations for expanding their influence to Russia's borders, and then capitalized on years of building a false story about a genocide to justify an invasion and war, which in Russia you cannot call it anything other than a special operation, by the way. Then he claimed that Ukraine is being run by Nazis, therefore needs to be invaded. Already, Putin is multiple plates spinning, multiple propaganda narratives to keep going at home, and abroad as well, but mostly at home. And the origins of this Nazi rumor stems from the fact that Ukraine's history does have a complicated relationship with Nazism. During World War II, there were factions in Ukraine that helped Hitler's Germany, but there were also forces that fought against them. Ukraine celebrates those who fought against Germany, but in the decades since, there have been right-wing groups that celebrate the legacy of those who sided with Hitler's Germany. Now, these right-wing groups in Ukraine are often referred to as Banderites, named for Stepan Bandera, who conspired against Poland before World War II and who attempted to declare Ukraine as on the side of the Germans during World War II, a man who was credited with helping carry out genocides during the war and who ended up being an enemy to both Germany and the Soviet Union as the years went on. Bandera's legacy is a complex one that lives on today. President Zelensky of Ukraine has dealt with multiple political issues surrounding the right-wing Banderite groups, their ideas of Ukraine's national identity and history, and their apparent downplaying of Bandera's role in Nazi genocides. So what Putin has done is point to these right-wing groups that exist in Ukraine and then use them as the justification for suggesting that the country is run by Nazis, taking nationalist myths of another country selectively picking out pieces of a historical narrative and then putting them in the old propaganda blender to say, hey, look, Nazis, go get them. It's like if Canada invaded the United States and justified it by saying, oh, the country's run by the KKK because there are white supremacists in America. It's taking an inch and then stretching it to a mile. Then Putin moves to mention something that is actually pretty common in reasonings for invading other countries, historical affiliations and borders. Now, the full history of Ukraine, its independence and all the complexities of all that is enough for a full-on podcast series of its own, so we won't go into all the details. But Putin states in his speech that modern Ukraine lies on lands that for centuries were actually Russian, especially eastern Ukraine and the Donbass regions where the supposed genocide has occurred. Also, that the creation of Ukraine was actually a mistake by former Soviet leaders Vladimir Lenin and Joseph Stalin, who according to Putin, separated a common people and created a new country, and that modern Ukraine is made up of people who identify as Russian and speak the Russian language. Again, this is the story that Putin is weaving. He then also cites that Ukraine in recent years, since the revolution in 2014, 
through its negotiations with European countries and NATO and its attempts to westernize their country, is attempting to go through a decommunization process, as he refers to it as. Ukraine in recent years has changed names of buildings and cities and removed statues of Russian communist leaders like Lenin. And at this point in the speech, Putin then states very clearly and firmly, even getting a little extra serious in his tone, that this effort to decommunize Ukraine is fine with Russia, but that their effort should be absolute. And that if Ukraine wants to remove its Russian history, the names, the statues, and all that, that therefore, that also means getting out of and giving back the land that those leaders gave them. And thus, the invasion began on February 24th, and here we are almost a month later, still living in its wake, still watching it unfold day after day. This is the point I was trying to make here in the first half of the episode. That starting a war in the modern world isn't just as simple as declaring war outright. That there are carefully crafted narratives, uses of propaganda, of lies, and honestly, throughout history, pretty much every war has actually had this kind of stuff. But at the same time, the justifications aren't as simple as just being blatant, flat-out lies. There's a blend of true facts of history or real events that have occurred, but also completely fabricated stories in which Putin has relied on the absolute control he holds over Russian media to help prop up. Simultaneously, Russia has begun severely punishing anyone protesting the war or spreading facts about what has actually taken place. Basically, anyone who counters his narratives. Because again, this much of a complicated web of spin and concealment, of nationalist myths, fear-mongering, and liberal lies, all these concepts are being used and intertwined in order to muddy the waters. It gets much harder to sift through all the narratives when they are this convoluted, especially for people actually in Russia. The rest of the world can break it all down. A podcaster in Canada can write a long-ass podcast episode and dive into it all because I have access to all the information. My internet and media isn't being censored and manipulated like it is within Russian borders. Vladimir Putin has combined all of these ideas to create a reason for his nation to invade and terrorize another nation. Whatever his true intentions are, the outward lies that he's told have been years in the making. And since the invasion, the spin and propaganda has only increased, which is necessary for them to keep this going. Conspiracy theories about biochemical weapons labs being run in the Ukraine, an eerily similar theory to the one used by the U.S. and its justification for invading Iraq, but that theory has also now been put out into the world as well, which has already been debunked by the United Nations, but I'm sure that's just what they want you to think, man. But it's only further complicating the information war that's going on right now. So, as always here on Assorted Goods, we're going to take a quick break, take a breather, hear a couple of messages from some fellow independent podcasters. And on the other side of the break, we're going to take a look at how the lies of Putin's government compare to other justifications for war and conflict in the past. And we'll see if we can make some sense of this absolute madness. So stay with me. Assorted Goods will be right back. On this week's edition of For the Trees. Hi, my name is Amir Khan. I'm the author of Speedboat Race. Amir dropped by in person to chat about his new book. The story is about a speedboat racer that was trying to overcome many obstacles prior to the championship race. How a sixth grade writing assignment tucked away in his parents' safe became a book and a lesson for today's children. And I hope that will inspire those that are in the communities and elsewhere. You can get the whole story 
on episode 15 of For the Trees on your favorite podcast player. And you can find Speedboat Race on Amazon. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the guilty green. There's your first challenge of the week, avoid elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. That's such an aha moment, frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's gonna be our new- Tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. All right, welcome back to the show and what might be the heaviest and most serious topic we've ever covered here on Assorted Goods. But as we get going here in the second half, there is one more piece of Vladimir Putin's speech that we have to touch on because, well, it sets up where I'm going with the second half of the episode. About a third of the way through his speech, Putin points directly to the justification the American government gave for invading Iraq in 2003, which if we've forgotten now, or maybe you were too young to remember, But this was based on the suggestion that Iraq and its then leader, Saddam Hussein, had been secretly manufacturing what the U.S. government called weapons of mass destruction, a blanket term that was intentionally vague. The initial suggestion was that Iraq was trying to build nuclear bombs. And when that couldn't be verified, the Bush administration claimed they had solid evidence for these weapons of mass destruction, including chemical weapons. And this was a massive accusation to make. But in 2003, just a few years after Vladimir Putin himself had ascended to power in Russia, U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell presented to the United Nations and claimed that the U.S. government had solid evidence of these chemical weapons in Iraq and used this as justification for invading the country. Now, what happened after is the basis of a two-decade-long violent destabilization of an entire region of the world. And in the offshoots of the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan, There have been hundreds of thousands of lives lost, a massive increase in terroristic threats from extremist groups, a refugee crisis, multiple nations have undergone violent revolutions. It's been an absolute mess. And like I said earlier, although that may seem like a distant memory to Americans or any of us here in what they call the Western nations of the world, that lie was absolutely not forgotten by other world leaders. Plain and simple, members of the Bush administration got away with something that, and I understand the risk in me saying this here, but please bear with me, but really isn't that different from what Vladimir Putin has done over the past month. People like George Bush, Colin Powell, Dick Cheney, and so many more played a major role in what should have been considered war crimes or crimes against humanity. And yet, no punishments. And all have lived comfortable lives in the years since. Another point that I'm sure is not lost on the other major powers of the world, like Russia and China. In fact, when researching this point, I found a website directly from Chinese state media from just a few months ago that was a reminder of Colin Powell's now infamous presentation of a white powder in a vial to the United Nations, in which he claimed it was anthrax found in Iraq. 
and how that presentation turned out to be a complete sham. The article was actually titled, This Shows America's Ridiculous Attempts at Misleading the World, and there was an evil-looking caricature of Uncle Sam holding a vial. Again, the rest of the world does absolutely remember all of this. And again, that claim was never verified, and anthrax was not found in Iraq. However, America at the time had been held in the grip of an anthrax scare. After five people died and a couple dozen were hospitalized the week after September 11, 2001, when anthrax-filled envelopes were sent to politicians and public figures, and a culprit was never found. So there is a case to be made that faking evidence of anthrax was using the fear-mongering tactic in order to sway public opinion. In 2014, Vladimir Putin claimed that that vial of white powder that Colin Powell presented to the UN in 2003 was really just washer detergent and a lie, a claim he then repeated in his February 24th speech before invading Ukraine. And this is where we draw similarities, as uncomfortable as it may be to some, between what America did 20 years ago and what Russia has done now, faked evidence used to justify an invasion of a sovereign nation. America, much like Russia now, also then used what John Mearsheimer would have called those liberal lies when they justified keeping their military overseas in order to chase down the bad guys and rescue people from terrorist threats, a goal that was never completed even after almost 20 years. So Putin directly refers to America's invasion of Iraq and the famous vial of white powder in his speech, basically playing the, well, they did it too card, a staple of children everywhere. Also, just for fun, in the speech transcript I was looking at, white powder was mistranslated in the transcript and was missing the D. So the transcript actually said a vial of white power, which, you, you know, there might be some sort of satire in there about that. But anyways, the reason I'm bringing up all of this is because what Putin has done is not new. America itself has done similar things, not to justify or play the whataboutism game, but other nations have done similar stuff and have done it numerous times throughout history. Basically, Putin's tactics just aren't an original idea conjured up in his own brain. He's had historical references that he's been able to draw on. Starting wars always involve spinning a web of narratives, of supposed evidence. The information war is as important as the physical battles themselves. I'll keep harping on that. Propaganda is so important to any nation in any conflict in order to control the public opinion of its own people and to convince the other world leaders to stay out of their way, since you're never going to be able to convince them to understand where you're coming from. And as I said before, propaganda is absolutely effective at what it does. There's a reason why people keep using it, which is why Russia has made such a forceful effort to clamp down on any opposing points of view at home. Recent polls find that about two-thirds of Russians still support Putin, with upwards of 60% of the population supporting the current special operation in Ukraine. It's not possible without the firm grip Putin has over Russian media. And also get this, in 2015, over a decade after it became known that the information used to justify America invading Iraq was a big load of crap, 42% of Americans still believed that story to be true. So why lie? Because lying works. You could come up with some sort of creative infomercial for propaganda. You know, are you having trouble justifying military actions to your own people? Introducing nationalist myths, the new propaganda technique. It's really just that effective. It's not a hard sell for any leader, especially an authoritarian leader like Putin, to start using these methods. 
And these techniques for making shit up and starting a war, it's worked in the past as well. Right around the full-on outbreak of World War II, on August 31st, 1939, Nazi Germany faked an attack on a German town on the border with Poland. They killed prisoners from a concentration camp and then dressed them in German military uniforms and sprinkled them around the scene. Then they kidnapped and killed a farmer and dressed him in a Polish military uniform, staging a whole scene where Poland had apparently crossed the border to attack Germany. Hitler then declared war on Poland and invaded the next day. And sometimes, in some cases, it's not as much of a blatant lie, but more so misrepresenting what's happened. For example, when America entered the Vietnam War, it came after what is known as the Gulf of Tonkin incident. America had been looking for a reason to join the conflict, and on August 4th, 1964, two American ships in the region sent word that they were under attack and that they had fired back on enemy ships. Within a short period, President Lyndon Johnson was speaking to the American people, condemning the episode, and vowing to retaliate, which they did. Later, it was revealed that the attack those two ships had apparently faced was not verified, and that what they had experienced was likely a radar malfunction that appeared as though enemy ships were approaching. And it just kind of makes you think for a second that it's amazing the kind of violence and loss of life and chaos that can be created and the whole changing of courses of history all because of a mistaken idea or a blatant lie. Wars start for a number of reasons, of course, but lying, spinning, concealing, all of them come together to create whatever narrative you need to justify your actions as a government. During the Nuremberg trials after World War II, where German military commanders were put on trial for their war crimes, one of the few times in history where anything like that has ever happened and maybe ever will, a German-speaking American intelligence officer named Gustav Gilbert had the chance to talk with the prisoners in between their trial sessions. During one chat with Hermann Goering, one of Germany's leading military commanders, Goering was quoted by Gilbert as saying, quote, Of course the people don't want war, but after all, it is the leaders of a country who determine policy, and it is always a simple matter to drag people along. When Gilbert then cited back the people power of democracies to keep politicians in check, Goering rebuttaled, That's all well and good, but voice or no voice, the people can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders. That's easy. All you have to do is tell them that they are being attacked and denounce any pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to danger. It works the same way in any country. See Putin right now. Claim violent extremists are committing a genocide and arrest anyone who speaks against a campaign because they're working against the national interest. And that national interest gets to be defined by whoever's in power. And I know I might upset people again by continuing to make this comparison, but I'm sorry, it is true. For anyone who was alive in the post-9-11, early Afghanistan slash Iraq war years, you can remember the cultural shift America experienced. Anyone against the wars were called un-American and ostracized for their opinions, even canceled by modern standards, for speaking out against an unjust war. Just ask the then-country music sensations the Dixie Chicks, who spoke out against the war and whose careers were pretty much ruined. Again, a war that was started under false pretenses and led to massive destruction and death for American soldiers and for the people of numerous nations in the Middle East. Whether you can accept it or not, it's the same concepts, being applied in different ways, sure, and of course, with different levels of severity depending on the country. But I'm going to now back away slowly from that point. Big lies aren't an issue either. It doesn't matter how massive they are. Hitler himself wrote in his shitty memoir slash diary, Mein Kampf, that you can tell lies so big 
that they couldn't possibly be believed, but that if you tell them and then repeat them enough and stick by them, sooner or later, people will come around to believing it's true. In modern times, Donald Trump's unmatched ability to tell lies over and over until they appear to be true is applying that same idea. Ooh, an edgy Trump-Hitler comparison, I know. But, for example, the myth of the stolen 2020 election. It's outrageous. But if you keep saying it again and again and again, day after day, it starts to sink in. And these days, thanks to the internet, social media, and the never-ending media infospheres we're all surrounded by, a lie can be repeated and faked into reality by anyone with a phone and the ability to create a meme. Propaganda has never been easier. And here's another example from over on this side of the world. And if you're wondering right now as a listener, geez, Dan, you seem to be hammering the Americans a lot this time. What are you, an anti-American propaganda guy? Well, first of all, I'm Canadian, so. (laughs) But second of all, again, 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 no, this is not about justifying what the Russians have done. The point is that other parts of the world have not forgotten the kinds of lies that have been told by these supposed progressive, advanced countries of the world, specifically America. Putin has pointed directly to the kind of lies that have been told in the past, and he is using it as justification for telling lies now. I'm not excusing him, not even remotely. He's a freaking monster. But at the same time, the sins of the past of this side of the world, of previous American presidential administrations, have gone completely unpunished despite the horrific outcomes of a lot of these lies. So, kind of helps to have a refresher on history to kind of remember these things because we so easily forget, whereas other countries don't. But anyways, in 1991, while George Bush Sr. was president, America got involved in the Gulf War. Like father, like son, they needed there to be an actual reason to mess things up in the Middle East because they couldn't just do it for fun. So, Bushy Sr. hired the public relations firm Hill & Knowlton to run focus groups and create a narrative that could be sold to the American people. And the firm came up with the concept of baby killing, a strong idea to run with. So a story was told about rebel fighters storming a hospital and killing babies, including testimony from a 15-year-old girl who said she was there to witness it. The problem was, the girl was the daughter of an ambassador from Kuwait, and further investigations into her claims found no evidence that anything like that had actually occurred, and also that the testimony by the girl was organized as a PR move by Hill and Knowlton. And again, of course, like everything else, there were never any punishments for these lies, and nothing was ever held to account as the years went on. Nevertheless, multiple no votes in Congress swung to yes votes for supporting Kuwait in the Gulf War. And look, truthfully, throughout history, there have been tons of examples from all over the world dating back to ancient Rome, even, about using propaganda in order to support violent conflicts. We could spend a lot of time on the bullshit of wars being started, and we have this episode. But the whole point of this episode was to dissect and understand how Russia came to craft the narratives they needed to invade and then terrorize Ukraine. And after all we've touched on this episode, you might also be wondering, as listeners of Assorted Goods often do, why do we need to know all this? especially when what's happening in Ukraine is so obviously horrible, and we've all seen things we probably wish we hadn't. And when, from our perspective, there does appear to be a clear bad guy in the scenario. But like everything on this podcast, and the whole point of me making this show at all, the point is to get a broader understanding of the issue at hand, to put things into context, because as it turns out, what Russia has done is far from new or unique. And as much as it might upset people to hear, 
Putin and Russia have used the same techniques that governments of Western nations have used for decades. In the context of history, their lies have been crafted in the same style of many lies that have been told by governments before. Lies that have led to violent and bloody conflicts. And truthfully, Putin and Russia's lies and their need to control the narrative at home won't be the last time we see this kind of stuff. Lying and violence are human nature. Sheesh, that's very optimistic, Dan. I'm actually thinking of writing a motivational book called Lying and Violence, Why People Suck. It's coming to Amazon soon. But hell, look, in the coming months, if this conflict gets worse, the same strategies that we've been talking about here will likely be used by our own governments to maybe justify joining the conflict. A scary prospect. Because like that Nazi jackass said about eight decades ago, regular people like us don't want to go to war. I know I would prefer none of us had to go to war. But we go where our governments lead us. And governments lead by spinning stories. At the same time, history has shown that regular people like to be lied to, apparently and that they believe the lies, even after years and years have gone by, and even after the lies have been clearly exposed and proven false. The conspiracies of today aren't going to just fade away so easily. People in Russia will be telling stories of the genocide in the Donbass for years. Jerks on Facebook right now are spreading stories of Ukrainian bioweapons labs, even though it's been proven to be untrue. Truth is often in the eye of the beholder. Perception is reality, as they say. And belief is what drives people to act. Vladimir Putin has been an expert in spinning narratives for two decades now. And he's used it to disrupt democratic systems all over the world and run disinformation campaigns at home and abroad. So what can we as regular people do? Well, for one, Understanding and being aware of the types of lies that get told, the fear-mongering, the liberal lies, the nationalist myths, all those terms that we've been touching on this episode, but also working to improve people's media literacy is very important, especially during a war like this. Now more than ever, we need to be careful what we read and more careful what we share. Disinformation spreads mostly through sharing from one person to the next. And fake news has been proven to be more shareable and more engaging than real news. So as always, it's up to us to do better. Because we know that governments will do what they need to do in order to spin the right web. Russia has kicked its propaganda machines into high gear, denying the existence of things that we've all seen with our own eyes, and calling anything that paints them in an ill light as fake news. Again and again, the information war is a major part of this. The painful part of watching this all unfold is that it's really the same story as it's ever been. That's been the point of this episode. No matter what part of the world, what nation, America, Russia, anybody, it's always been like this. Someone like me or you or even journalists on the ground in Ukraine or talking heads with check marks on Twitter or people with YouTube channels, whoever it is out there, we're all in the same boat, speculating the why of a conflict where each and every day unspeakable horrors are happening to people who simply just wanted to go about their lives. But the powers that be, whether it's a madman ruling a nation or a corporate interest salivating at the prospect of another long conflict filled with hundreds of billions of dollars in government contracts, whatever driving forces, whatever narratives we participate in, whatever conspiracies we believe to be true, it doesn't change the fact that regular, everyday people are the ones who will fight, who will suffer, 
and who will die as a result. The lies that are so easily told by anyone and everyone with a horse in the race always comes with a price, and that price is always paid by people who, if they had any real say in the matter at all, would have preferred to just carry on with their lives as it was. So please, I beg you, as this situation unfolds, as it continues to very likely get worse, as our brains trick us into some sort of backwards-ass enjoyment of watching and participating in the sick and twisted daily shitstorm of violent news, narrative spins, political deception, half-truths, and outright lies, I beg you to remember that we are all caught in the winds of this moment of history, meaning we're all at the mercy of how it unfolds. But at the same time, we are capable of being aware of this. We have access to countless sources of information, giving us a chance to understand the patterns of history, to validate what we hear and see and hear from multiple perspectives and sources, and most of all, to be vigilant and hostile towards liars and the lies they tell, and of course, to call out the bullshit when we smell it. And if any of the information I've shared in this episode is questionable to you, as always, all the sources that I have used in order to gather this information didn't just come out of my ass. It'll be posted on disinformed.ca under the sources list for this episode. You can check it out. You can look it up. And if you have any questions and concerns, again, please contact me. Send me an email. If I've upset you with something, I'm happy to talk it out with you. Email me, dan at disinformed.ca. For now, peace and security to the people of Ukraine. Mori bespeka norodu ukraini. Sorry if my pronunciation is awful, which it likely is. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves. Be careful with those phones of yours. And I will see you next time here on Assorted Goods.